Hey, welcome to Lakeview Sermon of the Week. We're so grateful to have you here, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. A high five before you sit down. Tell them you're glad to see them in the house of God. <laughs> yeah. God is so good. So, so good. I think I'm ringing a little bit. Maybe bring me down just to here. I'll be yelling in a minute anyway, so. Uh, God is so absolutely, indefinitely good. And I'm just telling you right now, like, the best is still yet to come um, for your life and what God wants to do. We're just scratching the surface of the good things that God wants to do. In this church in the city, in our state, in our nation, and, uh, and in our world, that God is up to something, and He is a master builder. He's the master builder. And He's bringing us into a reality where He's going to give us the Spirit of God in a way where we can know how to build in each one of our lives, in each sphere of influence that we're in, that we're going to be able to build places that actually house His presence. I'm believing for a time when the most powerful moments you have are not at this church, but at your dinner table. I'm believing for a time where the most powerful moments that you have with God are going to be in your car on the way to work. (laughs) I'm believing for a time that where uh, Monday is going to be more powerful than Sunday. Is that okay? Might as well get you getting warmed up. I uh, wasn't trying to be cool this morning uh, when I had my shades on. I really couldn't see people that were coming. Uh, but, uh, you know, so. Uh, but I just want to just put the devil on notice and tell him, our future's so bright, we got to wear shades. Can we just, just look at the devil and just tell him, tell him it's just my future's too bright. And I was accused also of trying to be like Tom Cruise. I won't tell you this. How about this? Top God. How is that? How is that? Is that okay? Yeah. Okay, enough dad jokes. Let's get in here. So we read about this character called Bezalel. And God's always doing something in the scriptures to foreshadow something so that we know where he's going in the future. Okay? So when things are mentioned that seem to be kind of commonplace in the scriptures, a lot of times God is trying to tie a thread and connect it without the whole of scripture so that when you start, have you ever done this? Have you ever had a thread on, 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 your, on your shirt or your sock and you thought, well, I'm just going to pull that thing out and then it, and then it just, come, and then you're just like, okay, well, there's a hole now. Well, that was great. Oh, whatever, right? So the scripture's like that, that you find these little threads sticking up places, and you're like, hmm, let me pull this out. And then, you, and then you're like, oh, oh, that's connected to that. Oh, oh, oh. And then before you know it, you've pulled apart the whole Bible because you found this, this theme or this thread that's woven in there by Holy Ghost in order for us to find it and begin to dig and search and find out the deeper things of God and, and to give us direction for our life. And so, so that was a thread that was pulled on. There's this character called uh, Bet's Atlel. Bet's Atlel. And so there's something going on here with this character that God has given a spirit of wisdom to build the house of God. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. 
We're going to get the Spirit of God to build the house of God. That's it. So Bet's Atlel, there's so much hidden here. We're just going to just try to comb through it as, as good as we can and try to weave this thing together. But Bezalel was given this tremendous spirit of God. Now, Bezalel's name, even his name has meaning, okay? So Bezalel, there's, uh, it's kind of broken down into three different words. The bet would, would, would mean, uh, in the Hebrew, it would mean something like in, around, or through. In this context, it means in. Zal is the Hebrew word for shadow, and El is the Hebrew word for what? Does anybody know? God, that's it. El Shaddai, Elohim. El. So El, so we have this Bet's in, Zal, shadow, or shelter. Can mean either one. And then El, God. So his name means in the shadow of God. Okay? So God's given this man a name in the shadow of God and given him wisdom to build God's house so that Bet's Atlel can build a place so that God can come down and not just Bet's Atlel, but the whole nation of Israel can be dwelt underneath the shadow of God. That when God made a garden in Eden, He built this garden, uh, this garden to be a place to where heaven would intersect earth. Like this is what He was trying to do. And He was making, raising up a people by the name of Adam and Eve so that they would come and go and kind of act as high priests so that as the... But as everything began to multiply, that there would be a nation of kings and priests and they would come and go throughout the garden and they would engage with God and that perfect thing would begin to overtake the entire place, the entire world. We know how that ended. That didn't end very well. So they had to leave the garden. And so, But God, how many of you know when we mess up, God's plan is not on pause or not on stop. God's already got a plan. God made a solution before you ever made a mistake. The Bible says that the Lamb was slain before the foundations of the world. So God starts with the solution before He ever entertains a problem. So some of you are so caught up in your problem, you forgot that God made a solution long before He ever made that problem or before there was ever a problem in the situation. So God raises up this man Moses to deliver the children of Israel out of bondage. Now this is kind of a crazy thing that happens because as the people of Israel are in bondage, in Egyptian bondage, they cry out and it's like something like 400 years go by and God begins to raise up this man Moses to begin to lead them out. When He leads them out, He doesn't take them into paradise. You know the first stop for the people of God... When they leave Egyptian bondage, you know what it is? The desert! And here's what's more of it, right? God gives them supernatural favor in the nation that they're in bondage in. And they begin to see a link between the people of God and their God. So the Egyptian people begin filling the Jewish people's 
pockets full of gold and money and all kinds of things. So they begin to bless the slaves. That slaves actually begin to be blessed by those who are oppressing them. So they're probably thinking, man, we are getting blessed over here. God's probably going to take us somewhere where we can spend all this money. <laughs> yeah. Said, so, man, our pockets are full. This is awesome, man. When we get out, there's no telling where he's going to take us. He's probably going to take us to Bermuda. And we're going to be at a resort and we're going to kick our feet up. And this is going to be a sweet salvation. And instead, God fills their pockets full of resources and puts them right smack dab in the middle of the desert. And then he tells them why he blessed them. Exodus 25. Build me a house. That every blessing you receive is to be turned into some kind of way to create a place to where God might dwell. Yeah. That every blessing that we have is to be aimed at. Now don't get nervous. I ain't going to take up an offering for anything, okay? So don't just, just ease yourself in here. But everything you got is to be oriented, whether it's a skill, a craft, a, whatever it is, is to create places for God's presence to dwell. Like, like that's what it's all about. So God takes them in the middle of the desert and says, build me a house. Why the desert? You know what the desert shows you? The desert shows you that Egypt wasn't the problem. The desert brings up things in your heart that show you that you're the problem. That's why so many people run back to Egypt. Because I can blame Egypt for my problems. But in the desert, I've got nobody but the mirror to look into and to say, oh my goodness, Egypt's actually in my heart. That the bondage isn't the nation of Egypt. The bondage is the wrong mindsets and the wrong life and the wrong lies that I've believed in my life that are manipulating and controlling me. And I can only see them when I'm placed in the middle of a desert. And so, you, that is pretty good, isn't it? And uh, I'm a humble man. I'm a humble man. <laughs> no, uh, what were we talking about? Oh yeah, the desert. So, as they're in the desert, they say, build me a house. So all the focus gets put on building a place for God to dwell. Do you know what the most important thing in your life is? The most important thing in your life is not your career. It's not your bank account. It's not any of those things. It's, is my life acclimated in every area to be conducive for the presence of God to dwell. Like that's the secret of it all. <laughs> and so God isn't up to some big thing or try to make them jump through some hoops. He's like, if you're serious about being my people, then put all your focus and effort and everything that I've given you, direct it toward making a place or that I can live with you.
And so Bet's Atlel, in the shadow of God, begins to build a tent, a tabernacle, to God's specifications so that God could dwell in the midst and there could be a connection point, hear me, between heaven and earth where people could meet with God. And that God would come near. And not only would the people be under the shadow of a tent, but that they would actually be in the shadow of God. That God is wanting to give us the spirit of wisdom. Why? So that you can be famous or that you can accomplish all. No, the spirit of wisdom throughout the scriptures is always interwoven with somebody that's going to build a house for God to dwell. So what would be the wisest thing you could ever do? Orient yourself in everything to be a dwelling place for God to live. It's the wisdom of eternity coming head to head with the wisdom of our age and the spirit of this age that says, oh yeah, God's this peripheral thing that you just do on Sunday just to kind of clean it up a little bit. But really your whole life's about everything else. When God would take that lie and say, no, that's wrong. (laughs) The most important and the grandest thing we could ever do is to make everything about Him and His presence and watch everything else begin to fall into place and begin to fall into line. And so the enemy wants to convince you that if you go too deep in this thing that you're going to be a zealot or you're going to be a wacko or are you just, you know, just say, just dip your toe in, right? Just, just kind of dip your toe in and then kind of pull it out, you know, just a little taste here and a little taste there. And I want to tell you something. That's the spirit of the age trying to get you to get enough of God that the guilt of your sin subsides, but you never actually change and become the person that God wants you to be. The spirit of this age does not mind lukewarm religion. Matter of fact, it loves it because it will lull you to sleep and you'll think you're going on to the sweet by and by. But you know what Jesus says? Jesus says, that lukewarm thing, I will vomit it out of my mouth. I don't want any part of it. And so the Lord is calling us to to begin to orient everything. And so here in the middle of Israel was Bet'satlel, was in the shadow of God, learning what it was to hear from God and to craft everything according to what God had told Moses. And here's the beautiful thing that Bet'satlel had that kind of gets looked over in Scripture, is not only did he have the anointing to build it to the precise specifications, you know what he also had the anointing to do? To teach others how to do it. So Bezalel wasn't just making the tabernacle the place where the shadow of the Most High would dwell and everybody could enjoy the blessings of having God as their, their God in the nation of Israel. He was showing others how they could do it too. So there's this theme going on with Holy Spirit and what He's up to. And and I'd never really seen this before. But in Genesis 1, when there's just these chaotic waters, right? It says, the Bible says that the Spirit of God is hovering over 
these chaotic waters, right? You guys with me? This is Genesis 1 here. So this is Genesis 1 stuff. It's hovering over. The Hebrew there is the picture of a mother bird that is hovering over her nest. Okay? You're going to start to see some connections here in, in the Spirit. So the Spirit of God hovers over, and the first thing He starts doing is creating. Right? Let there be light. Let there be this. Let there be that. Let, there, let us make man in our own image. That as God was hovering, His shadow by the Spirit of God was creating a place for what? For Him to dwell. And to create people that He could dwell with. Okay? So if the Spirit of God is at work, let me tell you what the Spirit of God is up to. You know what it's up to? The Spirit of God is moving in such a way where He can still find a place to dwell. Like this is what He wants to do. So when you see this man named in the shadow of God, you see Bezalel is kind of this kind of foreshadowing picture of what God's going to do to begin to, by His Spirit, make places where other people can show other people how to make a place where God can dwell. It's like this picture. So you imagine this. You have this tent, this tabernacle, and all of Israel are encamped around it. And guess what's in the center? Tabernacle. The ark of God, the place where God dwells. With a fire by day and a cloud, or a fire by night and a cloud by day, there's like this, this presence. And every other tribe is encamped around this tabernacle. And every one of them, guess which way they're facing? They're encamped to the first thing that they look at is the tabernacle. So the tabernacle or the presence of God is everything to the people of Israel. So you see this picture that God is trying to paint where He's saying, in essence, the presence of God has got to be the center of every single thing in your life. It's not true just for Israel. It's true for all of us. That some of us are pitching tents and building houses away from the presence of God. And every once in a while, we'll look out the back door and say, oh, yep, still there. Okay, cool. But what God would have us to do is to repent. You know what repent means? To do an about face. To turn around. What He's trying to get us to do is to move our tents, to move the trajectory of our lives, that we would be facing foremost and first of all the presence of God above all things. Like this is what He's trying to get you to do. He's not trying to use you. He's not trying to manipulate you. He's not trying to get you to do all these. He's saying, listen, if you'll just orient your house towards the presence of God, if you'll just change your trajectory from being a part-time Christian and that you would go all in and surrender yourself to King Jesus and you would make Him the Lord of your life, if you would change all that and just point yourself in my direction, I would begin to pull you under the shadow of the Almighty and I would begin to pull you under my protective covering and I would begin to pull you into the good things of God. That He's... And then you hear Jesus use this language where He says, 
how I wanted to gather you as a mother hen gathers her chicks. But you wouldn't let me. You wouldn't let me pull you into my shadow. Because somehow the devil has lied to you that my shadow is not the best place for you to be. Some of us have bought the lie that if we get under that shadow, we're not going to be anything. Or if we get under that shadow, we're going to be boring Christians. If we get under that shadow, our lives won't be fulfilled. If we get under that shadow, we won't find the one. Oh, my gosh. God's saying, would you quit believing the lie of the enemy and begin to turn your gaze to the presence of God and let everything in your life point to Him and begin to change and begin to change your orientation to Him. Bezalel had the wisdom of God for what? To build a house where the people of God could encounter God and they could learn what it is to build everything according to His plan and prescription. Why? So that God would be pleased and be in their midst. Okay? So you have Bezalel and he is from... Anybody know what tribe he's from? Tribe of Judah. Hmm... This is odd. Moses, the Levite, and his brothers that are the priests. But Bezalel comes out of the tribe of Judah to build God's house. Hmm. Do you see the foreshadowing here? Who wanted to build God's house? King David. From the tribe of Judah. So you have this foreshadowing of what God was doing here. Of what he's going to do in the next epoch of history. To when he raises up King David. And King David comes out of Judah. And you know what King David's desire is? Whatever it takes to move the presence of God into this place. Whatever it takes. There's no price that I won't pay. There's nothing I won't do to get the presence of God in this place. In the place. Why? Because if I build a place for God to dwell, suddenly we'll all be under the shadow of the Almighty and we will experience the blessings of God as we're under that covering and under that shadow. So David wants to build it. But God says, David, I'll let you get all the stuff. But it's kind of an odd story, really, just to be honest. Because David has this tremendous tent where there's all these encounters of God going on. And it's just, it's really miraculous. But David has this weird guilt thing. Have you ever had a weird guilt thing when God blessed you? Here's the deal. God's secure enough in Himself that he doesn't think the way we think, okay? So David's got this guilt issue because he's so blessed, right? David has this problem and he's like, how in the world am I going to live in a house of cedar and God dwell in this little old dinky tent over here? 
But do you know what God's response to David is? Man, I kind of like our little dinky tin over there. I kind of like the simplicity of it. And I'm really not concerned about a cedar thing. I kind of like my presence to be able to be mobile. Where it can be backed up and it can move where I see fit and where I want to take us. But David can't get over the fact that his house is nicer than God's house. So David wants to take on this opportunity. Prophet comes to him and says, you can't build it, but your son will. So King Solomon gets the task of building the temple of God. Now, what is the thing that King Solomon asked for? What? You see in the connection. Bezalel gets the wisdom of God to what? Build a house. The guy that asked for wisdom gets to do what? So everything about being wise is to put the presence of God at the foremost of everything that you do. That is wisdom. It's why you don't need a doctorate to do this thing. You just need to orient your life leading you away from Him. But if you'll repent of your sin and you'll orient your life, you'll be under the shadow of God. That is what it is to be wise. It's not rocket surgery. It's the beginning and end of it all. It's His presence. And if you've ever tasted and seen, what else would you rather have? And the fact that you'd rather have other things is just a sign that you've yet to encounter Him. That's all it is. I used to think that. I I used to remember growing up in church, and man, I'd see people acting all kind of a fool. Anybody grew up in a church like that? Man, I saw things that blow. You think this is what you all seen in here? Man, you should have grew up where I grew up, man. And it'd always be that time when you invited that friend to church. <laughs> that would be uh, uh, under a certain denominational persuasion. Like, you know what? The church has behaved the last three weeks. I'm going to invite a friend over here. Yeah. <laughs> It's a great idea. The more conservative and older denomination, the better. Hey, come on in here. And then God break out and you just be like, I got some explaining to do here. (laughs) Right? I mean, and I used to grow up and I was like, man, these people, what is wrong with them? I was like, this is boring. Stay in here for two hours. Oh, and you'd have one of those services where God moved. And you'd be like, all right, the pastor's not going to preach. We're going to get out on time. (laughs) And that big-bellied sucker would get up there and say, I feel like God wants me to go ahead and preach. And you'd be like, oh, you're messing up my day, man. I got to go back to school Monday. And you're doing this to me. 
you know I got to go shoot hoops on a concrete slab? Don't you know I got better things to do, Lord? I got video games. I got buddies. I got... What's wrong with these people? I used to think that like my mom, I used to think she was like superhuman or something. Because I'd watch her life and I'd be like, why doesn't she ever want to do anything bad? (laughs) I mean, I ain't saying all the time, but just, you know, once in a while, just say a cuss word at somebody or something. (laughs) Just something that I can know that you're human. Because you know what? When you're on the outside looking in, you don't get it. It seems like it's something that they just have this superhuman ability to do. But when you taste and see. (laughs) When you taste and see how good he is, you realize they didn't set the bar high enough. That there's so much more. There's so much more. There's so much more. And you begin to say, oh my goodness, why did I waste so much time not serving Him? Why did I not go into the presence of God? Why did I have to scratch all these itches that stole years from my life from enjoying the presence of God? As a 22-year-old man, I came face to face with Jesus and I wept for a month straight because I'd wasted so much time because I didn't know how good He was. You imagine me in 22 weeping you didn't come to God quick enough I went for a month and said God why didn't I do this sooner because once you taste and see man we're not putting on a show up here this isn't some kind of a cheerleading session where you can go back to normal I'm trying to convey as poignantly and as passionately as I can that He is everything. And what you're seeing is real. But the only way you're going to experience it is if you lean in yourself and you get past your sensibilities and you get past your dignity and trying to save your name. We gotta quit trying to save face and start saving souls. Come on. Yeah. That that God is the center of it all. So Solomon asks for wisdom, and God grants it to him so that he could build a place for God to dwell. So we have the kind of uh, the foreshadowing figure. And then we have the kind of the next step in the figure. A man, Solomon, out of the tribe of Judah to build God's house. Then we've got the ultimate fulfillment. And the ultimate fulfillment is King Jesus. Who was given the wisdom of God to build a church for God that would not be confined to stone bricks and drafty corridors 
but would be confined to the hearts of people that would begin to orient their entire lives to Him. Now, it's a risky bet. Because how many of you know people got a will? And if I was God, y'all would all be robots. And y'all be worshiping right now. Y'all be, eh, 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 eh. Jesus. Eh, 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 eh. I'd have made it easy. But God, to experience actual love, gives you the gift of free will so that He could experience it and you could experience it. Because there's an ethic about love. You know what that ethic is? Free choice. Because love doesn't make you do nothing. Love sets the table and says, there it is. And backs away to see what you're going to do. It's like, that's what love does. So God could have made, he could have just said, all right, here's the plans. And I want you guys to build another temple greater than Solomon's, and it's going to be awesome. Matter of fact, Solomon's temple, some scholars of me, it's debatable. They believe it costs $30 million to build Solomon's temple. That's pretty good. Pretty good stretch. But Jesus would say, I want to do something more valuable than that. Because Jesus could have said, okay, we're going to build a a building and we're going to make it. And as we build the building, uh, it'll be the place where I can just live and I'll just dwell. I'll just live in the building. But God does a way more riskier bet and says, no, the only thing that's that's valuable enough for me to dwell in, to do me justice, is the people that I made in my own image. And he said, I'm willing to risk a hell full of people on the off chance that one might say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life and live in me. That he's willing to risk it all on the off chance somebody might call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. It's crazy. So Jesus, from the tribe of Judah, in the family of David, (laughs) makes the declaration to the devil and says this, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. That the master builder has spoken. (laughs) And he says, you're the living stones that I'm going to build it on. So the lie of this age will get you to settle and to take on this mindset that you're to be a spectator in this thing. And you're to go to church and not be the church. Yeah. That in the book of Revelation, there's a certain spirit that had kind of tried to take hold in the churches. And it was called the Nicolaitans. He said, I hate these Nicolaitans. 
Do you know what Nicolation stands for? Domination of the laity. That the Nicolaitans would come in as if they were super gifted and make everybody else sit down and watch them and be spectators and not operate in the Spirit of God and their each unique genius that God had called them to so that they might step into their calling and be the church themselves. And I'm afraid that in, this, in America, this is what frightens me, is that in America we're in an entertainment culture and we love to be entertained. And I'm afraid that if we're not careful, that same spirit will slip into the church and we will move into a place of entertainment where the lights go down and we just watch what happens on the stage. And then after that, we shuffle out like a movie full of popcorn or whatever we were able to, our goodies or snacks or sweets. And then we go right back to our life. And we divorce the gospel and the story of God from our own life. And we treat the gospel like a movie is something that we watch as entertainment. But it never takes, it never takes precedence in our life and moves us to operate like that outside the church house. You are the church. You are the rock that God is building His church on. That they're thinking Jesus is going to build his, his church on the Temple Mount. Well, if we look at the Scriptures right, that's part of the Antichrist plan. They're thinking, oh, God's going to build His church. He must be going to go on Temple Mount. And God's like, no, you are my Temple Mount. That God says, you are my high place and where heaven's going to intersect earth and you're going to be the one that I want to move through and dwell in. So Jesus, the master builder, steps up and starts to build His church, but He doesn't use stones. He uses people. He doesn't need cedar. He needs you. He needs you. And this is where the rubber meets the road because I think in the American church, we're all just trying to be saved. In our salvation, it's just like this ticket that we've punched to go to heaven one day. And we live any kind of way and Jesus has no lordship in our life and we're just all over the place. But then if somebody says, hey, brother, are you saved? And we say, oh, yeah, 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 man. Uh, yeah, VBS at seven years old. I said a prayer in that one time that, and, you know, and, 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 and my, my brother's a deacon and my, my grandpa, he was a pastor back then. And we, and we got these little things that we use to kind of overlay the reality of our life that make us feel a little better. But the fact is, is that being saved is not about going to heaven. Being saved is about becoming heaven on earth before you get there. Being saved is about moving into the reality that you are the temple of God, the place where God would meet so that you could bring heaven to earth. Like that's what God's wanting to do. He's not wanting to let the earth go to pot and then just pull everybody up into heaven. 
Here's what He's wanting to do. He's wanting to right now, while there's time, begin to work in the hearts of individuals to begin to create pockets of glory and pockets of revival so that a last day harvest before Jesus comes back would happen on the earth. But it won't happen in a building. It'll happen in a people that are hungry to encounter Him and embrace His presence and make their life all about Him. Like, that's what it's all about. That we've got salvation so future out here that we, have, we won't hit a lick tomorrow or the next day or the next day or the next day. Why? Because that's that fixed thing way out here. When God's saying, yeah, I'm going to get you there. But what about today? What about tomorrow? What if we chop this thing up into daily deaths? <laughs> Where the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says, I die daily. Take up my cross daily. Why? To crucify everything that would separate me from Him. Every day. And some days I'm do it better than others. But here's the thing. Every day I'm trying. Every day I'm grinding. Every day I'm moving toward the reality. That I am the church, and that is the place where God wants to dwell. So this is what Jesus is up to. To assemble a bunch of old beat-up rocks, chipped up, burn up, <laughs> used up to assemble a bunch of rocks like that. And then the Holy Spirit hover over those rocks and begin to say, I'm going to chip that off right there. Oh yeah, it won't fit into that body like that. So let's And so what is Jesus? Jesus is the meeting place where we all meet God. So when the Holy Spirit comes into our life, you know what it's trying to do? Conform you into the image of Jesus. Why? So that you can be a meeting place of God. So when the Holy Spirit came, what was the first thing that happened? 3,000 get saved. What's God saying? I'm sending the spirit of wisdom on how to build the place where I dwell. So you want to know what the Holy Spirit's up to? He's up to working on you so that more of Jesus could enter your heart and your life. That's why we got to be so careful that we're not just sitting under gifting, but that we're sitting under presence. Be careful. Careful. Come up here, man. God's building a house. Shoot. I was wondering how long y'all was gonna make me rattle on before somebody gets serious. Who else? Come on. You need you come on. Holy Spirit's moving on your heart. Come on. Here. Just, you're okay right there. You're all right, Richard. You're all right. 
Yeah, you're all right. You're all right. Who else needs to get their life right with God? Oh, don't act like everybody's all sanctimonious in here. Give me a break. That's the, that should be our, our utmost goal. That's how you know God's doing a real thing. Who else? Who else? Nobody got anything you need chipped away up in here? Give me a break. I know some of you. I know some of you. This ain't the place we're going to lie about how good we are. We need Him, man. I, I need Him. I need Him. <laughs> this I'm doing up here ain't some badge of maturity because I'm so mature. It's just the fact that God's grace is on me to do it. I'm just like y'all. I got to fight the same devil y'all got to fight. I'm not insulated. I'm not insulated. Anybody else? He's, he's looking to make a house. <laughs> we need more stones. <laughs> we need more rocks. Nothing fancy. Just a rock. A rock that places itself at his feet and says, Build here! You can build here, Jesus. You can build right here. can build right here lift your hands if you're up here just begin to begin to make an altar you know what you use to make an altar you use rocks and not rocks that have been fancified and chiseled you use rocks that have not been touched by anything but the hand that brought them there simplicity grace no more condemnation no more condemnation. Jesus. Some of us need to go to our own funeral tonight. Let the resurrection life of God begin to take precedence in all things. God, preeminence in all things. Have preeminence in all things. God's all over you, sir. I just feel God saying, what have you been waiting for? I love you. I'm right here with you. You're okay. You're okay. You're okay. I'm there. Lay it all at His feet. 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 Let Him build you back up again. You took the hammer out of His hand. Put it back in His hand. Start over. 
Start over. Let him build it. Let him build it. We're laying it all down. All down. All down. We lay it all down. God. Thanks for tuning in. Our hope is that these messages will help you on your journey of discovering who Christ is and who you are in Him. You can learn more about our ministry at lvahs.org or follow us on Instagram at lakeview.hs.